Hello, everybody. I'm Clay Brees, and this is The Point. We've become the source for authenticity and exactitude here in Southeast Pennsylvania in Delaware Valley, right here on this station, AM Radio 1180 WFYL, for this distinct, compelling discussion. You folks out there, all you expert listeners, have made us, or dubbed us, I should say, the the guideposts for truth seekers everywhere. We appreciate you being with us. Thank you for being with us. First off, I want to say to everybody and welcome everybody and say happy Thanksgiving to everybody. We have a lot to be thankful for. We have our, our salvation. We also have our freedom and our family, our lives, and we have our favorite president. We want to thank our faithful expert listeners and who fasten their seatbelts with us every week. Folks, we do appreciate you being with us, and uh, we're going to jump right into this. I, I want to talk a little bit about what a uh, what a sting operation is. I think we all we all know what a sting is, and and I think I I look at what I think Trump did, and um, I I just think it's important that we understand what Trump was able to put together here was I think a sting operation. Now, if you look at uh, what a sting is, okay, a sting operation. It's when law enforcement is, you know, puts on a deceptive operation designed to catch somebody committing a crime. A typical sting is that when you have a, an undercover law enforcement officer or, or a detective or so or, or so forth, or maybe maybe a, a you know, a, a community leader of sorts or maybe some uh, technical expert or whatever as a cooperative member. Uh, basically playing a role or whatever, being a part of the crime, if you will, a criminal partner, or maybe sometimes a potential victim to go along with the suspect's actions, basically to gather evidence of the suspect's wrongdoing. Uh, you know, you look at what it is. I mean, the sting operations intent is to get the case to be indefensible, <laughs> okay, Many cases, uh, you know, many cases need evidence, you know, DNA or whatever. But but a tra- and what you're looking at with a sting operation, a sting operation brings about the crime. It shows the crime being committed. It shows the intent of the crime. And then it also shows, and then from there you can back it off and say this is how it was committed. What I think is interesting is when we heard the the hearing Earlier this past week uh, in Gettysburg, the hearing that was there uh, when Giuliani and Jenna Ellis and other experts, if you will, were briefing the Senate committee, the state Senate committee on in Pennsylvania on the, uh, you know, on the fraud that was going on in the in the uh, the, the problems in, with the election. A fellow by the name of Phil Waldron, he's a retired army colonel for 30 years. And he specialized in information warfare, headed up, he headed up a, I want to say it was a sort of like a, uh, a sting team, if you will, a voting machine manipulation cyber team. I'm going to call it our sting team, Trump's sting operation, because the Trump team had voting machine cyber teams in place all across the country. This is what came out in this hearing, and I want to make sure we're clear on this. This fellow, Phil Waldron, actually said that he'd been working since August on how to break in, break, manipulate, and destroy the voting machines. 
Now, Trump had many of these teams in place and likely everywhere in the, you know, everywhere the Dominion machines were used or some of these other machines that were suspect to hacking were used. What they were doing was they were figuring out how these things could be hacked because they wanted to be looking for certain manipulation patterns, if you will, uh, during the election cycle. Now, like I said, uh, this fella testified that that these machines from Dominion were built to be manipulated. As he stated, <clears throat> they were used in Bolivia just a few weeks ago in that rigged election. So now Pittsburgh used Dominion. I think Philadelphia used, uh, we, we reported here earlier, I guess by mistake, they didn't use Dominion. They, they used a ES and S machine, I, I guess. But all of them have a common DNA. They all have similar code and functions. They are con- they're, they're connected they are fully connected to the internet and servers outside the US. We know that. And the voting record can be modified and or deleted by operators, administrators and outside threats. See, operators can assign votes for write-in ballots. They can assign votes for blank ballots. Operators can also assign votes for error ballots and and, and they can do it in large numbers and they can direct them these votes to any candidate they want. And, and that's that's really compelling, folks. These systems allow anyone to cancel votes, shift votes, preload votes, and obviously vote blank ballots. All And they do it all in real time in large numbers. Now, I think, just to make a recommendation here, I think one of the things that we can look at is just getting a detailed forensic audit on the actual machines and software to reveal how much fraud actually took place. But I mean, Mr. Waldron testified he believes at this point it was over 1.4 million votes. Now, these voting machine manipulation cyber teams that Mr. Waldron headed one of them also discovered that the malware that is present on the servers captures every login and every password of every operator down to the precinct level who log into these systems. Now, this is like any one of us giving our bank account password out and putting it on the dark web. I mean, you give your password out as an, as an operator or some sort of a precinct level operator, you can, you're opening up that machine to complete and utter fraud. But it was also revealed that on September 30th, of this year, an election storage facility was robbed and 30 USB devices and a laptop computer were stolen. What I thought was interesting was Mr. Waldron did not announce who or where that facility was that was robbed. I thought that was intriguing. I don't know why he didn't report that, but he did report that. Uh, and he said, we all know that a storage election storage facility was robbed. And I thought I mentioned to my wife, why didn't he mention where it was? I thought that was interesting. Anyway, Phil Waldron also testified uh, of the spike anomalies of loaded votes that was done. Now, this is important because you can see, for instance, one of the signs in these countries when you're looking for fraud is they stop the machine counting. When all the machine counting stops for a period of time, that's in, that's indicative of some recalibration going on within the system. But then when you're looking at the actual vote counts and you see the a giant spike anomaly, if you will, of loaded votes. You can see it. And this is what they were pointing to from this. You see, they saw the giant spike anomalies uh, where normally, see, and again, just to get back to these machines, these 
these votes come in at a specific rate. Okay, so when you're looking at a linear graph, you can see, for instance, how the votes come in. They come in at a specified rate. So when you're looking at a graph, uh, they don't. It doesn't reflect huge spikes. It just kind of. It's like a slight wave. What spikes represent, folks, is when numerical numerical numbers of votes are being processed and counted. In a, in a specific time period beyond what the machine is capable of doing. And, uh, you know, the, like I said, they're designed from the manufacturer to process at a specific rate of speed. So when spike anomalies are huge numbers where they were here of votes being processed at a rate that is not feasible or mechanically possible under normal circumstances to occur, then we know we have a real problem. There is a manufacturer's specified rate, and, and I think that when you look at it, you realize that these votes came in at, at a rate that the machine could not normally handle. And I think that uh, – but they do point, and what's interesting is they do because you're running this – they've already run these graphs. They know on these machines, if they're going to do a forensic analysis, they know on these machines where exactly to look to see what happened. Because they, 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 they define a forensic, they forensically define a place to get into, I should say a specific place to get into and forensically look for what happened there. But all these voting spikes throughout the state, when they would calculate it as a whole, showed over 570,000 votes counted in those particular spikes. But they also showed that 99% of them went, went for Biden, 99%, almost all of them went for Biden. Okay, now that's just an incredible phenomenon, folks, and it's it's not even believable. Okay, that and because we're not talking about the mailings, we're not talking about we're not talking about Democrats mailing, we're not talking about that. We're talking about we're talking about the spikes on the votes being processed in the machines themselves. So you can see that something was happening there, some fraud took place. But when you do look at the mail-in ballots, and I, again, I want to point to that, the mail-in ballots, there were 682,770 mail-in ballots that were counted without being observed by canvassing observers. We know that. We also know, for instance, the, you know, when you look at some of the stuff you see, like, for instance, the, uh, you know, what, what can happen with, you know, with these canvassing observers. But you can also see, for instance, how it affects the election cycle. But when they looked at, and I thought this was very interesting, when you looked at the uh, the actual, uh, I want to say the uh, the actual mail-in ballots, there was huge discrepancies on that as well. And 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 I'm going to get to that because when you look at the actual discrepancies on the mail-in ballots, in other words, how many how many of them uh, how many of them were uh, put in place, how many of them were counted, and how many of them were sent. So the fact is, from the Pennsylvania. State Election Board, Pennsylvania sent out 1,823,148 absentee mail-in ballots. They sent that many out. 1,823,148 ballots. And they received back, oh, probably about 75% of them, about 1.4 million. However, in the count for president, there was almost 2.6 million absentee mail-in ballots counted. There were 2,589,242 absentee mail-in ballots counted. Folks, that's a difference, okay? That's a difference of over 700,000. 
Now, that's that's phenomenal. Okay, that's a huge difference. I mean, how you could have more ballots counted than than were actually mailed out. I mean, that's just that's just unthinkable. How how could that happen? When you look at, for instance, you had twenty two thousand six hundred eighty six mail in ballots that were received back from the voters on the day they were mailed. I mean, that's 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 a neat trick. I mean, I'll let, I mean, I guess the people they were mailing them to were right outside the door of the uh, of the of the of the building there. And they just basically went out the door, voted and they came right back in because the, on the day they were mailed, they were received. OK, um, but I think what's interesting was we had nearly that many, about a little short of 20,000 mail in ballots, but nearly 20,000 mail in ballots that were returned before they were mailed. How is that even possible? How is that even possible? And of course, you had 32,591 that were returned the day after they were mailed. So when you look at all of this, you see, for instance, you have oh, about 80,000 votes there. And then when you throw in the dead people, the 8,021 ballots submitted by dead people, you have over 85,000 votes there, 85,000 or so votes counted. I think what's interesting on all of that is, um, you know, I guess it's a little less than that. It's about, you know, about 84,000. No, it's about 85,100 change, okay? That's what you have. Now, that's how many ballots. I, I just counted that, again, they're either that were received back from the from the voters the day on the day they were mailed or that were received back from the voters the day after they were mailed or they were received back from the voters before they were mailed. Okay. And of course, 8,000 submitted by dead people. I don't know how a dead person submits a mail-in ballot, but we had 8,021 of those. Now, again, I talk about the sting operation because I think this is very, very important. And again, I there's a reason, and I believe there's a reason that Trump is strategizing and doing things the way they did. I mean, the Third Circuit Court of Appeals just made the decision to basically dismiss it, not do anything. So Trump is moving it to the SCOTUS. And I think there's a reason. They don't. They want to have the time to present this to SCOTUS. Remember, you only got about, you only have a handful of days here, okay? I mean, you only have a handful of days left. So they got to get this to SCOTUS. They don't want to be wasting a lot of time in the Third Circuit Court of Appeals. So they're going to hold things back. They're going to make their claim and it's going to go right on. So the, the SCOTUS is where they wanted to do it. Now, the media is out there playing this out like, oh, you know, Trump had another defeat. The Third Circuit Court of Appeals said there was nothing there. No, there, there. But what you don't hear is you don't hear any of these fake experts, any of these geniuses that claim to be attorneys uh, that have law offices, law office partners, whatever, all these very smart, intelligent, genius people that they have on the fake news every day talking about Trump's legal quagmire, if you will, his predicament. I mean, I've heard him. I've actually heard really great lawyers. I mean, allegedly great lawyers uh, talking about how how out of how out of whack that his that the Trump legal team is and how discombobulated they are, how disorganized they are or whatever. They just start knocking these people instead of actually trying to understand what the strategy is that they're trying to do. They don't want to understand the strategy. I mean, I'm not a lawyer, and I can basically understand that there's a reason that they did not want to go forward with certain allegations of fraud because, that, first off, they've already presented it to the, the state assembly, but they also want to bring it one time. They, there's a lim they're limited for time. They're limited for time. They only have a few days, so they got to get this in there. I mean, they, they've got a little over a week here. they got maybe two weeks, and that's about it. So they got to get this through. They, they're limited for time. 
they don't want to be spending days on end trying to present these things because it, it takes time to, to, to draw out what these witnesses are and the affidavits are and what the fraud actually was. So that's going to take time. And so, uh, and besides the fact, maybe that's, they have a strong enough case without the fraud. Okay. And that might be the other aspect of the strategy. I don't know. All I can tell you is the fraud is a reason for the state to not certify the votes. And of course, the, uh, the uh, equal access is, is a reason, uh, an equal opportunity is a reason for the, for the Supreme Court to not allow it to be certified. So there may be that strategy as well. It's hard to say what the strategy is on all this. I just don't like the idea that people sell Trump short every chance they get. I mean, I understand why. I understand why the media melts down and they do this. And they call Trump, you know, his push for fair and free elections, uh, a push to count every legal vote and throw out every illegal vote, a threat to democracy, a threat to our republic. You know, well, I mean, when you look and you understand this, look, these fake news activists want everyone focused on the politics and they want everyone focused on the propped up fraud named Joe Biden himself. Okay. Uh, the one that confessed to fraud. Okay. That said that, 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 that spoke about the fraud organization of fraud that he had, that they, that the Democrats put in place. Okay. The most extensive voter fraud organization ever, ever handled. Now that's a paraphrase. If you want the exact wording of it, Go to BurksGOP.com and we have it right there. And you can click it and listen to the 14-second confession from Joe Biden himself. But this is an individual that they they gave every softball opportunity to. This is a person that never campaigned, that didn't get out. This is someone that allegedly, allegedly was elected president because as someone that has the least amount of connection with the American people that anybody I've ever seen that ran for president ever. I mean, this individual is so disconnected from reality and from people, it's unbelievable. But the media, the fake news that we're talking about are the same people claiming to be the carriers of nobility. Remember, they're the ones, they're the ones that, uh, that, uh, that call Russian collusion for two years and got it wrong. You know, they're the same people who have been sued by the Covington High School student, Nicholas Sandman, for slander. Remember that? By the way, that might have helped prompt CNN to go for sale because CNN is for sale. Look, these are the same people who got the Duke lacrosse case totally wrong. These are the same people who doctored the 911 tapes from the Trayvon Martin, George Zimmerman incident. These are the same people who used file footage photos from Italian hospitals and they represented them as real photos from New York hospitals during the COVID crisis. So they're showing chaos, hospital pictures of chaos from Italy and they're portraying those pictures Okay, CBS did this. They portrayed those pictures as hospital pictures in New York City. I mean, that I mean, that was just horrible when they did that. I couldn't believe they did that. But these are the same people that are carrying the mantle of nobility and want to call this election. These are the ones that keep propping up Joe Biden, which is an amazing thing to me. I mean, the man, the man that has uh, is losing his mental acuity. Okay, that guy. Uh, they want to prop him up and they want to keep calling him president elect until it's time, until it actually happens. They want to what they want to do is they want to black out the truth. They want to keep propping up Joe Biden and they want to keep telling everyone that what Trump is claiming is totally ridiculous. And as they keep saying it over and over and over, they're convincing some people to bail out. That's their plan. Their plan is to get people to bail out on the president. The problem is 
about half this country doesn't want to bail out on the president. Uh, I mean, that's what we're seeing. Okay. And Republicans everywhere know that there was fraud. Everyone knows there was fraud. I mean, when you look at when you actually look at the polling that says what percent of the people believe there was fraud in this election, uh, it's a, it's over 60 percent believe there was fraud in this election. Uh, and most of them believe it came from the Democrats. So, I mean, the bottom line is, folks, <clears throat> people don't have confidence in the election. That is the goal of these Marxists. You see, the way these Marxist totalitarians take over a country is they oftentimes go into the country they win these. They win their first election, some f- sort of spontaneous, fraudulent effort. Then they get in there and they change the system and rig the system so that no one ever wins again, but people they want. And then people lose interest in voting because they realize, well, there's fraud and we can't do anything about it, so my vote doesn't matter. And that's how they maintain power, okay? Because they actually rigged the system. I mean, even when people come out and vote, doesn't matter because they have the the algorithm set up in these machines so that they're counting. All they got to do is tweet the algorithm. So, for instance, if they count 1.18 of every vote for uh, for Biden, they count as 1.18. So, like, for every eight votes for Biden, they count them as 10, okay? So, they add, they add 20% to Biden, okay? And then uh, they, they, they take Trump down by a peg by saying every vote for Trump or every vote for the opposition would be a 0.75 or a 0.8, okay? So, in other words, if for every 10 votes for the opposition, they actually count eight votes. So, that's how you get it. So, they actually just they are tweaking up the one party. Well, they did that in this past election, but they had to stop the voting. If you look and they had to stop the voting in these states like they did in Pennsylvania, so they could they could get in there and, and tweak the algorithm and add votes, which is what the voting spikes that we talked about earlier were. Five hundred and seventy thousand votes that came in through these spikes so that were ninety nine percent for Joe Biden. I mean, that's that's evidence based proof of fraud, folks. These are machine balloted votes. And Joe Biden got all of them. I mean, you know, that's how they had to tweak the, the voting, the algorithms, because they had to add votes to Biden. That's what they did. And they did exactly that. So, again, this is what they do. And so these totalitarian countries, they maintain power by keeping people uninterested or disinterested in politics because they believe that they can't do anything anyway. They lose hope that they have a vote that can change anything. Once they convince the public of that, they win. Okay, that's what makes fraud so bad. Okay. It, fraud is not a party issue. It's not a partisan issue. Fraud is an issue that comes, I believe, from the devil himself. Okay, the the father of fraud. Okay, the father of lies. Uh, that's where fraud comes from. Election fraud. Make no mistake about it. But what's interesting is how you see the media doubling down and continually doubling down, tripling down, and I mean they're just constantly media blackout of the real story. Uh, they don't report the. I mean they even they even. They even uh, censored, they're censoring Sidney Powell's Twitter feed right now. When she's trying to report what's happening in Georgia, they're actually censoring her Twitter reports so she can't report what's happening. Folks, this is amazing. And not only is it a media blackout, but it's censorship as well. Uh, they're going they're going all lengths to try to, sh- to stuff down the story. And then they continually, in every story, they do interviews with Biden every chance they can, and they call him Mr. President-elect and everything, so people start thinking he's the new president. 
Well, folks, that's not the case. And I want everybody to understand this. When Pennsylvania finally gets around to doing the certification, our state representatives, they can stand and say, we're not going to allow this. Okay, we're not going to allow this until until there's an investigative investigation on the fraud. See, what you don't hear the media talking about, remember, everybody was falling all over themselves on Friday when the Third Circuit Court of Appeals said, we're dismissing this. But nobody wants to talk about the federal judge that turned around and said, we want we want an investigation. Okay, we want we want a we want an investigation into this fraud and we want hearings on this at the state assembly level. So we don't want it certified until that's the case. So we actually have being we have things being delayed now at this point in Pennsylvania until the state assembly can get a handle on it. Folks, there's a lot more to come on this. But I think it's very compelling. I mean, the people in the media that are out there declaring that Biden's the president, the ones that are trying to feed us the news, if you will, or what they want to call the news, are the ones that are trying to convince people that it, they, that, that it's over before it's over. And I want to make sure we're clear on that. And again, I'm de- describing who these people are. OK, they're the same people as I'm going to get into this list of items here. They're the same people who got the Duke lacrosse case totally wrong. OK, remember, they're the same people who actually doctored the 911 tapes from the Trayvon Martin George Zimmerman incident. And these are the and again, you, you can get into all of that. Again, they're the same people that use those those uh, those photos, as we talked about from the Italian hospital. And they said, oh, this is a New York hospital. They misrepresented that. That's who these people are. They're derelicts, okay? Every one of them have a, a complete, um, every one of these people commit some sort of media, media malpractice at some point, every one of them. And and these are the ones that, you know, that are that were honored in the museum in Washington, D.C., which was a, a tribute to their greatness. It was a building with all these monuments in it, and they had to close that building last year. I thought that was interesting. But again, and maybe that's what they really hate Trump for, because he wanted to, he didn't want to fund the museum. <laughs> they had to close the place. But again, you know, I, I I talked about how they're propping up Biden, and they are, and they they're they're you know these are the same people that are doing this. I mean, they they didn't let the laptop story come out. They really kept it under lockdown. And look, the Republicans knew about it, but the Democrats didn't. Six out of ten Democrats, six out of ten Democrats knew about this. Four out of ten did not. Nearly half the Democrats did not know about this computer. And when Nor- the computer problem, when Nora O'Donnell actually did the interview with Joe Biden, when she asked him about the computer, she said, is this Russian disinformation? So as Joe Biden would have an easy response to say, well, of course it is. It's, it's a lie. It's all, it's all fabricated, probably from outside the country. I mean, you know, that was a paraphrase of his answer, but basically it was a tee shot for him. Instead, Nora O'Donnell could have committed an act of journalism. She could have asked Joe Biden, was this laptop your son's computer? Did your son take this laptop to this computer repair store? And is this signed receipt, is the signature on this signed receipt your son's signature? You see, she could have asked those questions. I, I think, and I don't know this, but I mean, it could very well be that Joe Biden had to have assurances that those hard questions would not be asked or he would not have done the interview. But I don't think he had to ask. I think it was just an, an agreed upon agreed upon line of questioning that they had, which would be nothing direct and nothing pointed for Mr. Biden to have to come clean on. I mean, I, I just want you folks to understand, and I think all of our listeners do. I think 
I'm going to transition into this, into, into, into what their ideology really is and who these people really are. And, and it's amazing because, I mean, I, I mentioned this before. Joe Biden was endorsed by the Revolutionary Communist Party USA, and they didn't mention this. OK, I mean, who are these people? OK, well, when you don't confront the facts of reality that who these people are, OK, then you're allowing the reality to be hidden like the man behind the curtain in The Wizard of Oz. OK, this is what you're seeing. So, for instance, people don't understand that Joe Biden and, and Barack Hussein Obama shipped away jobs. They ravaged our borders and they 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 offered that they eliminated disorder crimes. OK, uh, I mean, now Joe Biden's plan is to continue on that path as well as to eliminate cash bails now. Okay, he wants to go that route. Uh, You know, when you get into the actual policies of the left and you realize, you know, that's what they want to do. They they want they want the neighborhoods. They want people to not feel safe in the neighborhoods. When you get rid of cash bails, you're opening yourself up for a real problem. Like when you eliminate ICE, immigration's customs enforcement, or when you want to continue on with favored nation status for China. Uh, how that how how that's going to hurt this country? How the media could easily have picked that apart, easily picked that apart, or how eliminating border walls and having open borders, and, and you know how is that going to be bad for this country economically? I think the economic ramifications of the three things I just mentioned: eliminating immigration, gut customs enforcement, favored nation status for China, and eliminating border security. I think and and now sanctuary cities; those four items are hugely detrimental to the economy. And had the media been doing their job and putting that out there, not to mention the fraud that, uh, you know, the actual, uh, the problem that with the, with the laptop computer, um, I think Joe Biden, uh, you know, again, people wouldn't have, they wouldn't have even given him another look. Okay. I mean, I do believe that, that Trump's going to prove that he won this election handily. And I do believe that there's a lot there. But the real policies of the left, and I, I just reeled off a handful of them, but they, they just don't appeal to Americans. And we're going to talk a little bit on our next show about, you know, why, uh, you know, what, what is the, I mean, why, why liberal opinion shows have, they can't get traction and why conservative opinion shows do. And I'm just basically, uh, I'm going to talk more about that. We're going to unpack that in the next, in our next show, but I do want to hit on that a little bit here. I think what's interesting in all of this is the the reason the Democrats don't get into their policies, the reason the media doesn't get into their policies is because they're twisted policies. They're 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 bad policies. They're they they'll have horrible consequences on on the middle class, on the people with commitments in this in this country that have investments in this country, the people that have a stake in life, okay? It'll have a horrible effect on people. It'll it'll make things more expensive. Okay, I mean, when you talk about the Green New Deal, you can unpack that and say, I mean, how do you sell that to the public? If if you were to have a discussion to promote it, I remember watching there was something I was watching on the Weather Channel. I mean, we were just tuning into the Weather Channel to try to get the weather, and you know, I guess there was some sort of a lead up to it, some sort of a promo that they were putting out there to save our planet promo, and how we have to save our planet. You know, and, and, and you're watching that. And you're like, why can't why can't a story like that? Why does why doesn't a story like that? Why doesn't to, why 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 is it that topics like that 
and the details of those policies? Why is it they don't get any traction in the public? Why? Why is it you can't have a talk show about, well, about getting about the Green New Deal? Why is it you can't promote that to people? You know, because you can't sell higher electric bills to the public. That's why, folks. You can't sell higher gas prices at the pump, folks. You can't sell inflation. You can't sell to the people of this country higher cost of living in every aspect of their life. That's why. The Green New Deal, maybe on one hand, they say, oh, it's going to save the planet. But when you start talking about the meat and potatoes of it, people say, well, it's it's a theory that it's going to save the planet, if you will. But the reality is it's going to cost me a whole lot more to live. And it's going to make my life a lot harder to live and my pursuit of my happiness a lot more difficult to impossible. You see, that would be the discussion, and that's how that would go. So when you start having a substantive discussion with facts, their ideas don't go anywhere. They don't even get off the ground. The Green New Deal wouldn't get off the landing strip with, with, with when you start getting the substantive facts. You understand? I mean, that's what you have to understand. When you start talking about sanctuary cities, you you know, you know, they, they start putting out their pie-in-the-sky theories and their the utopian ideas on sanctuary cities. But once you get into substantive issues and substantive facts about what sanctuary cities actually mean to the public, they don't get off the landing strip. They never get off the ground. I mean, how do you talk about government-run health care? How do you talk about health care for all? It sounds like a winning plan, right? But once you get into the substantive details of that plan, on a, on a liberal opinion show, because, again, you have to get in the substantive points. If you don't, you're going to lose everybody. Nobody wants to listen to it, okay? So if you're going to talk about, you know, health care for everybody and, you know, and it's just a great idea and everybody listens for, until you get to the substantive points, then you realize what they're actually talking about is eliminating private health care. So the 180 million Americans that have health care they want to keep, well, okay, well, that, I don't like this. So immediately the liberal opinion show starts to lose their audience because – because they don't have people that, that buy into this nonsense. For the same reason liberals can't sell their policies on opinion shows is the same reason they need voter fraud to win elections. Because their policies don't connect with anybody. The liberal twisted socialist policy doesn't connect with anyone. So the only way they can get it through is to win elections via fraud because they can't win elections on ideas because they don't have good ideas. You don't sell the Green New Deal, folks. It's a high school paper. You don't sell the Green New Deal. After you've talked about it for about 10 minutes and then you start getting the substantive points of the Green New Deal, like the retrofitting of every building in this country with brand new windows and solar panels from China and windmills, the inefficient energy. I mean, they're not talking about efficient solar energy and efficient wind energy, folks. They're talking about inefficient solar energy and inefficient wind energy. It's hard to sell any energy that's not efficient. That's the bottom line. They can't sell it. So they lose the public on the notion right off the bat because inefficiency means a higher cost and it means a, a, a lesser return. So you get less of a service, less of a product at a higher cost. That's what that means. If you want an example of, 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 of that, look at no further than Australia. Australia went right into solar and wind power, and Australia has these cheap systems that break down all the time. The cost of energy is through the roof. There is no benefit from it. 
Okay. So, you know, again, it's hard to sell all these twisted notions. That's why they can't get it off the ground and they have to cheat in elections. Folks, there is a pattern of voter fraud, a pattern that is that is very visible. Okay. It's it's it, it was their plan to execute this from the very beginning, okay? I mean, they coordinated an effort and a strategy of keeping election obs- canvassing observers out of the canvassing rooms or away from seeing anything. I mean, in Detroit, they were putting boards up on the windows. They kept them out in in, in, uh, in uh, Philadelphia. They actually told them, you can't be here. You know, this isn't going to work here. This isn't going to work here. <laughs> they had one witness that testified at the house at the house hearing last uh, on Wednesday. And, and that, that was down in Gettysburg. I should say the Senate hearing. And he said, uh, you know, they, they told him, oh, this isn't going to work here. Can you step outside, please? They took him outside because they were, you're not going to be in here. This, this, this certificate doesn't do anything for us here. They intimidated these people. They kept them from seeing anything. But what I thought was very intriguing were all the witnesses that they brought forward. And, you know, I, I mentioned that earlier, okay, the, 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 the witness they had, you know, on the, um, the Phil Waldron was one of them. But they also had some other fellows on there. They, they had another Army colonel, if you will. I can't think of his name offhand, but he was out of Delaware County. They had these people on the ground who, who who knew how to compile evidence, and they knew what they needed to do. In other words, they had they had we had sophisticated poll watchers in place who would be able to put the witnesses together and the testimony together and, and whatnot. And I think they did exactly that. They did exactly that. I think that's very very interesting. I want to get a little bit into the uh, the Sidney Powell issue. I think that's very interesting. That everybody's talking about Sidney Powell and why they, well, why they probably reassigned her. I mean, I heard I heard people, a lot of talk show hosts out there um, that listen to a lot of radio. But I mean, none of them I think were getting it right. I mean, I I, I believe all along it's been a strategy. Why would they do this? Okay, why would they do this? There had to be some sort of a legal strategy. Well, it came out. I guess there was an an article that was uh, on Red State, but it came out and it talked about uh, how uh, that they filed, that, that, that they had to do this to basically maintain the filing status, if you will. I mean, one, it, it, like they guessed a reason why the Trump campaign opted to announce that Powell was working on her own was basically uh, to allow uh, the what they call the court's ancillary jurisdiction so as to allow all the matters to be resolved as part of one proceeding. They, they, they knew that state laws, state law claims can also be determined by the federal court, court applying to state sub, substance, substantive law and procedures where necessary. But there's that federal question, and this is what it is. When a, when a plaintiff has both state and federal claims, from what I understand from reading the article, they can assert in a lawsuit like federal question, jurisdiction, is the basis upon which the federal court will hear and resolve the disputes under federal law. They, they just, there was a reason they wanted to separate this, and I think they did this. That's just my thought. And uh, I, I, I think that they have a very good case in, in Georgia, and I, I think they do. I mean, um, they have a really good case. I mean, they're, they're going to, I think it's going to be a very powerful case all the way across. I think that these, I think you're going to see again, as I stated before, you're going to see a seismic event. I've said it on this show. I believe that they, they've they been trying to get this to the Supreme Court because that's where they want to go. They have the five constitutionalists there. 
that will rule in their favor, that they'll present their evidence one time, and uh, that's it. I mean, they, they were limited for time. You got to understand something that because you're in a time constraint. And I said this earlier in our show here, and I don't want to I don't want to miss this. But you're, you're the, the the legal experts that are all over the fake news everywhere are constantly talking about why is it? Why is it? I mean, here we have a, the Third Circuit Court of Appeals just dismissed it. I mean, this is bad, bad, bad. And everybody's saying this is bad. But it's the strategy because they're limited for time. They have to do what they have to do. And again, I believe, as I said, I do believe that the Supreme Court is where this needs to go because I believe that the third appointment that Trump made, I, I as I stated before, I believe this is God's hand. I mean, because it literally happened days before the election. And when you look at the Old Testament and you look at the New Testament, but you look at all the different miracles, faith is always a requirement, okay, for God to work. It's always, you gotta, you got to have faith for God to move. I mean, that's generally a requirement for God to move. Faith moves God. And I think that when you look at uh, the, the, the miracles of the of the testament look at look at the book of judges look at samson okay and and you know you look at how these people you know how they they were able to fulfill god's uh god's will it was through faith but it was also through the fact that you know god was able to do this and you i mean i believe that sydney i believe that the that um amy coney barrett was an appointment was an appointment made at the last minute in the nick of time that Trump was able to make. And we got that on the court. And I believe that that appointment's going to enable Trump to win this and hold this election and defeat this fraud. As I stated earlier, what I thought was interesting, I was, and I kind of lost my, I'm going to transition back to what we talked about earlier, folks. So please keep up with me. I'm sure you will. But let me bring this back. I'm going to bring something back, a thought back to what I was talking about a few minutes ago, which was the what totalitarian states usually do. And they create this scenario where people don't have faith in the election. But in every one of those cases, you have to understand, folks, they were already in power. It appears that this effort was being taken in this country before they were in power. And I think there's something to be said of that. I think it's a miscalculation on their part. I believe that if the Supreme Court rules like I think they will, then they will push this. They will not declare Trump the winner. They will push this to the House of Representatives constitutionally they'll do that and they will let this be where the house of representatives selects the president and you're going to have likely the republicans prevail because they control more states but don't miss that the supreme court's not going to pick the president the supreme court's going to do their job and as a constitutionalist sees it all right uh, if you ever if you've ever listened to mark levin if you've never listened to him please do if you've ever listened to him, you'll understand. Mark Levin's one of those constitutionalists. I believe, I believe he clerked. I think it was for Scalia. I think anyway, but he's or he he clerked for some conservative. He actually did work for the guys. All right, he actually worked for for these justices years ago. He's a very smart, brilliant constitutionalist type guy, and he he claimed. I mean, again, these are all constitutionalists. All five of these attorneys are, are just all these five justices. Are constitutionalists and if you constitutionalists will interpret the constitution the way it is and not read into there the spirit of the of the understand their understanding of the spirit of it all in other words read between the lines the situational ethics outcome type people how does this read how will i interpret this 
Well, when you have doubt in the election, when you don't have equal access being at being given to people, when you don't have that being done, okay, then you have to realize that. I mean, again, the when it's a when it's a constitutional issue, when you're actually looking at you know what, uh, you know what was it that that they did? I mean, how how did they keep? And and again, you know, I look back on this and I I, I see this over and over, but. You look at what was the Democrat strategy on all this to begin with? Well, their strategy, their strategy has all has been all along to to uh, to not let this go to the courts, but basically try this in, in the court of public opinion. That's been their strategy. You know, I, I don't want to miss that. I think that's very interesting. You know, they, they don't want this out there. They don't want this out there. They, they want this defeated at the polls. That's what they want. They want this defeated in the court of public opinion. And uh, don't miss that, folks. Please don't miss that, because I think that says that says everything right there. So, again, you know, getting back to what we're talking about here, and I think it's just compelling in all this. Don't miss that. What we're looking at here is the strategy is to make this a constitutional issue at the Supreme Court, because we have the equal op- the equal access. OK, the, the uh, you can't have two standards. Okay, for chain of custody, you can't have that. You can't have two two sets of standards for voters, one that has verification, chain of custody verification, another one that doesn't. So that's where this is going. I think they have legal footing on that, and they can win the cases on that. Then they can go after the fraud end of it. I think that's the strategy. Look, I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer. I don't claim to be one, but I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express once. Okay. Uh, I, I, I think that, uh, this is the strategy. I think that they're going to go that route. I think it's, they don't want to muddy the waters with a lot of other stuff. The fraud, they're going to leave the fraud up to the state end of it because the states are going to be challenged to not certify the elections. I think they're going to have a very hard time in Pennsylvania allowing the certification of this election based upon what they already know with the fraud. They're going to have a very difficult time. And I believe, uh, Michigan's going to be another difficult time. I think Wisconsin's going to be very hard. Wisconsin has has an absentee system, which is very interesting. Uh, you have to be totally incapacitated to get an absentee ballot in Wisconsin. I mean, you can't get a ballot unless you're incapacitated, can't get out. And then they then they have it where they don't have signature verification. So what these Democrats have done was try to manipulate that, I should say, that 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 routine, that policy, that process. And how they did it was, um, in every year you see where the demo, well, you see in every year they've had between three to 10,000 people request ballots from people that are unable to get out. Okay. This particular election cycle, there were 20 times what they normally do. Okay. I mean, they had 179,000, 170,000 of these ballots. I mean, people know there's something wrong in here. And so, There was actually an organization, and I think Trump probably had some of this done as well, but they actually got in there and found a a large percentage of them shouldn't count at all. It's not hard to find 20,000 votes in in Wisconsin. It's not hard to find 12,000 votes in Georgia, and it's certainly not going to be hard to find that many votes or 20,000 or so or 30,000 in in Nevada. The problem in Nevada is unbelievable, the fraud that took place in Clark County. It's just unbelievable. It's unprecedented. So again, you know, discrediting the integrity of the election with fraud is a step for the state to say we're not certifying it and then it goes and that's the whole process that's what that's what is there for that's why it's there 
So I don't want to miss that. And I think it's uh, I'm trying to bring that out. I wanted to bring that to full circle here so our listeners can understand, because when you look at the different rulings, you know, you look at the rulings uh, from the November 20th ruling and then the ruling that they just had on the 27th a week later. I mean, it, it doesn't look good. I mean, people and and so the media plays it up like this isn't good. This isn't good for the president. He lost another case. He lost another case. Oh, my goodness. But they're not understanding the president is trying to exponentially get through these courts so he can get to the SCOTUS. He only has a short amount of time and he's got to get to the SCOTUS. He doesn't want to spend days on end revealing evidence just to have it not rule because you don't have strict constitutionalists here. And the way the appellate court works is you don't know which three justices you're going to get. Okay, there's three that you're going to hear. You don't know which three it is. And because the Third Circuit Court is not a is not a court that Trump had a lot of a lot of appointments on, he was concerned about it. And so he doesn't want to do that. I mean, if it was the, I don't know, the Seventh Court of Appeals, it'd be a little different where he appointed a lot on there. You see, folks, when you look at the when you look at the Supreme Court of the United States from back, just just go back to like 1989-1990, okay? You had you had uh, Justice White on there. You had Justice Marshall on there. You had Justice Blackman on there. You had Justice Brennan on there, and you had Sandra Day O'Connor on there. I mean, you've had five justices there that would never do anything constitutional wise. Okay, and I think there might have been another one or two that, uh, and I think James Kennedy was uh, Justice Kennedy was another one. Okay, he wasn't very good for making any constitutionalist opinions. So you had six people on that court. That quite frankly, with Kennedy included, you know, White, Marshall, Brennan, O'Connor, Blackman and Kennedy, you know, you, you had those justices that they wouldn't rule anything with constitution as from a constitutionalist standpoint. And even when some of these other ones like White re- retired and some of these other ones retired like Brennan and Blackman and, you know, and Marshall, when they retired, they replaced them with with people that were liberal. I mean, you know, you, you look back on that, they replaced them with people that really weren't very strong. I mean, I mean, you had. Uh, you know, you even had, you had Justice, uh, you had, I'm trying to think who it was, you had, uh, you had uh, David Souter was one of them, he came in, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was another one that came in, uh, Stephen Breyer was another one, these are all liberals, so they replaced these liberals with more liberals. We've never seen a court with five constitutionalists, and I guess that's what Trump understands, he knows he's got that in play. So Trump's plan is to get this to the Supreme Court of the United States, and because of the limited time, he has to present his case in such a way to where it, it actually brings, where he can present the evidence and do it carefully and distinctly and, and win the case. As I stated before, you know, his strategy, that there's a couple of pronged strategies on this. He's got the voter fraud issues. He's got that as well. But he's also got the machine issues as well. He's got the case in Georgia. You know, look, there's a lot going for Trump right now. And, and I think the media harps on these losses you know, the one on the 20th and then the one on the 27th. And they harp on this like it's a big deal. They they, they, they try to make it look like his, the the uh, the decisions that went against Trump, well, they, 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 they bow bad for the president. I think I heard one expert say, I mean, you want to have victories going into the Supreme Court, they say. I mean, this is what they're trying to say. Again, it's all because they, they're based, this is all their understanding right now is based upon what they remember seeing in the courts in the last 60, 70 years, 50 years, last 50 years. So we're going to see constitutionalists and what they do. And and I think an example of that is how they just ruled in New York. Okay, you had a non-constitutionalist with Justice Roberts, and of course the three liberals, but the non-constitutionalist with Justice Roberts said, 
I didn't see a big deal. I mean, after all, they opened up the synagogues to 50% capacity. I mean, after they announced the lawsuit, they went in and, and, and the governor of New York changed the rule. So he went to 50%. I didn't see a problem. That's why I didn't go with it. But, you know, folks, the five constitutionalists said, we see a problem with it. Because the five constitutionalists said, our civil rights, our rights, our constitutional rights do not end because of a pandemic. And it's going to be the choice of the American public whether they want to go to church or not. And it's going to be the it's going to be the choice of the public. It's going to be the church itself that sets up a situation to where if there can be any social distancing, there will be. But make no mistake, people go because they want to go. And so, as I said before, I was talking to somebody about about mask mandates. I, I don't have an issue with mask mandates as long as I'm making a mandate on myself or the other person is making a mandate for themselves. I have an issue of mask mandates coming down from the governor or 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 the physician general or or the president or whoever. I don't want politicians in Washington telling me I have to wear a mask. I'll make that decision myself. It's a decision I'll make myself. I mean, I may be willing to wear a mask in certain situations, okay? But it, it will be my decision. It won't be someone else telling me. Now, and, and again, that's if I'm healthy. If I'm healthy, then I'll make a decision on how I'm going to wear a mask. If I'm not healthy, then I'll just wear a mask. You see, and that's where you go with the mask mandate. And that's where you, that's where a constitutionalist thinks, okay? You don't forego your individual rights because of a pandemic. And so we've already seen this. These justices on the court are going to rule. I, I very convinced they've got strong cases, constitutional cases, and they're going to do very well with this. And I'm very convinced of it. So I think we need to keep in mind, again, how this is likely to work out in the courts, how this is likely to come together. They're going to make constitutional issues. They're going to get very strong cases. They're going to win those cases. You've also got the states with the fraud itself, which is going to prompt them to make political decisions. I mean, obviously not certifying the elections, one of them, but also changing the election laws going forward. This is incredible. I mean, but make no mistake, there will also be some criminal indictments, I believe, going down the road to switch some people. Don't miss, don't, don't, don't miss, misplace that notion as well. I think there's going to be some people going to jail over this somewhere in the country over the fraud that took place in some of these countries, some of these states, I should say. There'll be more to say. There's going to be more to tell on this. There'll be more revealed on this as time goes on. As Trump said, uh, there are a lot of people that sold him short and thought Trump and Trump said that well, a lot of people sold him short and thought that he was caught off guard by this. Folks, he was planning on this. The evidence of that is the is the teams that were out there, those cyber teams that he had out there to detect fraud, to do to dissect these machines and figure out how they could be hacked. That's the evidence based proof that Trump was in charge of this all along. So let's not miss this, folks. Please don't miss this. I, I don't want to. I don't want our listeners to miss this. I think it's uh, I think it's important that we understand that, folks, it's just how we're going to see this going forward. The constitutional issues on this are going to be very telling. And uh, it's just going to tell everybody how we perceive this going forward. How is this going to be perceived? As I stated before, I believe that the constitutional question is going to be there. They have they have a very compelling case. OK, they have a very compelling case. When you don't have ballot canvassing observers seeing what's going on, there's a chain of custody requirement. There's a dual 
uh, dual standards there. You have to understand there's going to be something there. Constitutionally, they broke the law. Anyway, uh, we have to leave it there, folks. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving this weekend. Have a great weekend. Thanks to all of you for being with us, for tuning in. Tune in later on our show, The Watchman. we got a great show lined up with Annette. We're going to be talking more about the hearing itself, another, uh, more of a breakdown on that as well. But we're also going to be talking about, uh, as I promised earlier, the liberal opinion shows versus conservative opinion shows. Why is it liberal opinion shows can't get traction? We did touch and tease that a little bit in our show today, but it's going to be a great show this afternoon. So be with us later on today, folks. Okay. Thanks for spending time with us today on your Thanksgiving Day weekend. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend and be blessed. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. See you next week on The Point. I'm Clay Brees. Goodbye for now.